0: Or should be on the screen right now. The things we do for ourselves is really a bad title. So you listen to the message today, and at the end of the at the end of the service, we'll take a vote of the three top titles you come up with for today's sermon. No, we won't. That's not really a good title. I want to take this a verse at a time. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. The other day I called my daughter and I said I'd like to have my grandson, Janice and I would like to have him, to do something with him. And immediately when I said that I realized she had me on speakerphone and he knew that I was on the phone and so his ears turned into giant megaphone listening devices to figure out what Papa wanted to do with him. And Rachel says, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) She said, what do you mean you're not going to tell I'm not going to tell you. Now, here's why I wasn't telling her. It was because Easton was listening. And what I wanted to do, if he wasn't able to do it, it was going to be a big disappointment to him, and I did not want to disappoint him. We went round and round. What do you want to do? I'm not going to tell you. Just tell me what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you. Please tell me what you're wanting to do with my son. She says, okay. Well, he got to go with us. We got to do what we wanted to do. And when the whole day was over, he says to me, so, Papa, you mean to tell me that you made that big deal about all that just for this? Yeah, I said, you hitchhike home, buddy. Uh, anyway, anyway, God has made a big deal about this story of Cain and Abel. And we read it and we know the story so well that we sometimes miss the importance of it. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. When you get a little bit later on in the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, there is a thing that God establishes called cities of refuge. Cities of refuge were God's provision for his people to put an end to needless bloodshed. Cities of refuge were a place that people that had killed somebody would go so they would not be killed with vengeance by those around them. Cities of refuge protected a person that was accused against the threat of them having someone kill them. In fact, God said it this way in the book of Numbers, do not pollute the land in which you live, Shed blood pollutes the land. No atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it. So they had these cities of refuge in this place called Nod where Cain went. Remember, Cain has killed his brother. It's kind of like a foreshadow of what a city of refuge would be about. The name itself, Nod, means to wander. And and, and when you wander, you kind of go aimlessly, don't you? I just kind of get the impression that Cain wound up in this place called Nod, not only because he was wandering without direction, but also because he was wandering from something, and that was God. And it says in the 17th verse that Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore a son named Enoch, and he built a city. He called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Enoch was born Erad. And Erad fathered Mehushal, Mehushal fathered Methushal, Methushal fathered Lamech. Lamech takes two wives. The name of the one is Adah, the name of the other is Zillah. Adah, more Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Now why do I kind of skip over those verses? I want you to pay attention to something here. That 20th verse says, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. This tells you that one of his sons, who was Jabal, was a shepherd type person. Probably the earliest shepherds we know of. He kept ox and sheep and probably had free range chickens and all that kind of stuff. But then look at this next verse. Jubal, the father of those who play the lyre and the pulp. There there was culture There was music, probably some art going on in this town to which Cain had wandered to. Zill also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. There were tradesmen there. There was craftsmanship. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they told me that a friend of theirs has started this business that's just taken off, and what they do is they buy... Major League Baseball players used gloves. Then they tear the glove leather apart, cut it up, and make bracelets for men who are into that kind of stuff. And they wear, I mean, I couldn't think of doing that, let alone the business, just doing the craft. This tells you that one of his sons was really good with like making tools, probably making those instruments that their brother played. Lamex says this strange thing to his wives: Adila, Zilla, hear my voice. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man who struck me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. This verse is pretty difficult to unravel, but I want you to stay with it with me. On it. it's been interpreted several ways, and I'm not sure that I've got it right. But I want to tackle it for a minute so you get a good feel for it. Uh, On one hand, what Lamech seems to be saying, remember what happened, Cain killed Abel. He put a mark on Abel. He sent him away and he said, if anybody kills you, it's going to be worse for them than what it is for you. What Lamech is saying here is, seemingly, I killed somebody. But if you thought it would be bad for somebody that touched my father it will be all that much worse for somebody if they touch me and so it becomes this kind of prideful statement of sorts maybe that's what he was saying and note this too he tells us why he killed this person remember Cain killed Abel just because he hated him because God accepted his his offering in fact, the scripture tells us that Cain lay in wait for his brother until he could get him alone and tackling. That's not what's going on here. He said, I killed a man because he wounded me. I killed a man because he struck me. I've got reason for what I did. Later on in the Old Testament, there's going to be this principle that is introduced by God. We call it the, the law of lex talionis. It means an eye for an eye, right? And a tooth for a tooth. And what he's saying here, Lamech is saying to his wives, I killed this guy, but I was able to do that because he tried to kill me first. There's also a couple other ways you can read this. I'm going to let him go for right now to get you out of here sooner than later. But I'm going to say this to you This town to which Cain has wandered to, this town called Nod, I want you to think about it for a minute. He leaves just outside of Eden where his parents were, where he was born. He wanders to this place that is literally called to wander. And when he gets there, he begins to build a city, doesn't he? A civilization. It's got somebody that takes care of the grocery store. They... They've got the livestock, they've got the garden, they've got all the produce, they've got everything going on. Then another brother is the artsy guy who's playing instruments, who is probably painting or chipping stuff into walls, all, all that kind of cultural stuff. And then you got this brother who is really, really, really into building things. And you probably didn't catch this, but that verse where he is saying... I did. I killed this guy because he kind of injured me. He's appealing, if you would, to what seems to be like law. So maybe the civilization that Cain has set up has got some order to it. This is a decent place to go live. But then there's these two verses on the end, and I want you to pay attention to them. Back there just outside of Eden, Adam knows his wife Eve again. It means he was with her. And it says she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel because Cain killed him. you know what the, word Seth, the name Seth means? It means exactly what she said here. God has granted me another child in place of Abel just for a minute, and I mentioned this to you last week, but I'm going to drag it out here again this week. I want you to go back to the garden before Cain and Abel, before anything we've talked about today, and I just want you to get to the place where Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden, and here comes God walking in the garden in the cold of the day, and he's crying out, Adam, where are you? Remember what happens? Adam finally is found, he's cover himself up with leaves, he and Eve are hiding themselves, and God says, what have you done? And Adam, of course, being a good husband, says, she made me do it. But God, God does something at that point. He says, it's going to be tough for you now. You're going to die. Sin has entered the picture, and you can't live without the results of sin. But but God says, but there's going to be something that happens too that's really good. And it's found in Genesis 3.15, which should be up on that screen. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now, God is speaking to that serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. And he says, I'm going to put a problem. I'm going to put a wall between you two. You aren't going to be able to get along. But he also says between your offspring and his offspring, and, and and know this, he will trample your head, and you will simply nip at his heel. And it's the first prophecy we have in the Bible concerning Jesus Christ. It's ultimately saying to us, that God is going to win. And I mentioned this to you last week, but I want you to think about this. Here is Adam and Eve. They've had Cain and Abel. Cain's killed Abel. Cain's wandered off to the land of Nod. He started this city that has everything going on. And back here just outside of the garden is Adam and Eve. And Adam knows his wife. And she has another son. And his name is Seth. to this notion that God's going to win. Seth is tied. Adam and Eve heard what God said. Our offspring is going to defeat the enemy. Something that comes from us is going to win that battle. And when God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's, if Adam and Eve heard about it, they're saying, yeah, that must be it. And now now there's a new child that comes along, and Seth is inseparably tied to this notion that God's going to win the battle. I was going to read to you from Genesis chapter 5 right now, the entire chapter. I won't do that. You go home and read it. It's full of those genealogies. You know, Methuselah's in there. He lives 963 years. All these people that lived hundreds and hundreds of years but, but where it lands, what happens in is two things I was going to point out to you. And you. Some of you have heard this verse before, where it's talking about all the children that came down through the lineage of Seth. One of the people that comes along there is a guy named Enoch. And the Bible talks about Enoch this way. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. And we in the church have taken that to mean that Enoch was so righteous. And he was simply translated out of here. He didn't face death. He walked so rightly that God just walked with him and took him out of here. But then that, that, that also ends with Noah. That whole lineage. Hundreds of years and hundreds of years and hundreds of years of people living. It comes down to Noah. And you all know the story of Noah and the flood. And what is Noah seen as? The righteousness in the land that saves everything by building this ark. I want you to see that when Adam and Eve had their son Seth, who leads us down through the lineage to Enoch, who leads us down through the lineage to Noah, the whole time they didn't have the internet and the television set and the newspapers and all the stuff we have. All they had was what they told each other, and I guarantee you one thing they all knew was this. You will bruise his heel, but the offspring that comes from us will smash your head. He'll do you under. So everybody's looking for the deliverer. Everybody's looking for the promised one. It goes on to say in this passage, and Adam knew his wife again. She bore this son called Seth. She said, God's appointed me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain kill him. I told you I wouldn't read through everything. But I will tell you, just in the book of Genesis, if you were to go to the Old Testament, you would find from Genesis 1 all the way up through most of the Gospels, this notion that we're looking for the promised one. We're looking for the one that will come. But just in the book of of Genesis There's some names that go like this. And stay with me because I want you to get this thought through. There's some names like Japheth, Ham, Nahor, Ishmael, Lot, and Esau. Let me just pick two of them out. This is so important. Ishmael. Remember Abraham? God comes along to Abraham, Genesis 11, says... Out of you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your children will be like the stars of the night sky, the sand of the seashore. And Abraham's looking, saying, man, I am so old. There's no way this can happen. And my wife is beyond the age of having years. What am I going to do about this? So he runs out to be sure that he gets what God's promised him. Children, you know, he runs out and finds himself somebody that isn't his wife. And they have a baby named Ishmael. And as soon as it's had, God comes and says, Shouldn't have done that, because you really weren't counting on me, you were counting on you. And the child that I told you about is going to come through Sarah, who's 90, and you are 100. And Sure enough, sure enough, it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac, who's born of Sarah. Now, just for the record, pay attention to this, (laughs) Abraham's oldest son is Ishmael. In the Jewish mindset, that son is everything. But God says, no, 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 no. It's going to come through Isaac. And just for the fun of it, let's go back a little bit. Cain kills Abel. Cain kills Abel. Let's bet for a minute. Let's talk for a minute about who the oldest was for Adam. You got it. What about Seth? I mean, Seth's third guy down the line. and God says through Seth, I will bless all the earth. Later on in this book of Genesis, there's a guy named Esau. Now remember, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. (laughs) Jacob's got a brother story, Esau's the oldest, he's got the birthright, he's got the blessing, he's got everything from his dad that that you'd be looking for, and Jacob steals away the blessing from his brother. And time and again in the Bible, you hear things like this, the older will serve the younger, the first will be last, the last be first. And over and over again, the way we think it ought to be, God says, no, it's not how it's going to be. And there's a reason for that. God's got the final word. God chose Abel. God accepted Abel. Abraham, you think Ishmael's it? No. No. I told you how it will be. It will be Isaac, your secondborn. It's never, all the way down to Jesus, born in a manger, and nobody expects it coming out of this virgin woman, teenage woman, unmarried. Because God's ways are not our ways. When Jesus comes along, he rejects the Pharisees, but he goes and sits down with sinners. He walks away from these people that think they're so holy. And he goes and visits with a woman of Samaria. Jesus, time and again, rejects the religious but accepts people like Mary Magdalene. And let's be clear about this birth of Seth. Because something happened, didn't it? When Seth is born, look at what this verse right here says. To Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enish. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Keep that in mind. I want to go back here for a minute, just for a second. Let's be clear about Seth. Seth is born to Adam and Eve just outside of Eden. He's got nothing going on. Abel, or Cain rather, has traveled out to the land of Nod. He's wandered. He's built this city. It looks like everything is just as it ought to be. God chooses Seth. X. Okay. Cain. Stop for a minute and look at this. At that time, people began to worship the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord. If you were a student of the Old Testament, you would say that in the first five books of the Bible, when Moses shows up, that's when God establishes worship, He builds the tabernacle. He tells them, here's where you're supposed to worship me until we find a land. We find a land, we'll build a temple. And everybody would agree that, yes, that is it. But that's not right. It's all the way back here. When Adam and Eve have this third son named Seth, that people begin to call on the name of the Lord. In Nod, where Cain is, there is craftsmanship, there is agriculture, there is culture, there's music, there's art. For its time, it seems to be that there's even a civil society with laws. But back in Eden, Seth and his son Enish begin to worship God. That brings me to my bottom line, and I want you to stay with me for this. Everything we do is a cheap counterfeit for what God has already done. Do you you know why people, (laughs) you ever go in the store and hand them a, a bill to pay something, you know, a piece of money, and they take that little marker out and they hold it up to the light, and they're trying to figure out if you're trying to pass a bad bill, right? Usually that happens if you give them a 50 or a 100, maybe with a 20. Rarely happens with a 1. Rarely happens with a 5 or a 10. But I guarantee you, there are people that counterfeit 1s and 5s and 10s and 20s and everything in between, right? I mean, all the way up and down the, the horizon. But one thing they don't do, nobody makes a fake $3 bill. Why? Because everybody knows there is no $3 bill, right? You see the counterfeit, the counterfeit proves the real thing. Nod is where Cain wandered to, wandered away from God. Nod is where Cain, who came to God with that offering that was all about himself and nothing about him. Cain is the one that wandered from God to a land and built a place that looked wonderful. And all of his kids did wonderful things. But it was a counterfeit. Cain's garden was placed on the altar and Abel's livestock was placed on the altar and their attitude only God knew. Cain comes with pride about what he had done. And Abel comes with an attitude of humility about what God had done for him. And that attitude made all the difference. Can you imagine Cain at the company Christmas party? Can you imagine Cain at the company Christmas party? Hey, you seen my son Jabal? He's the world's first farmer. We nicknamed him Del Monte. You ought to see his bananas. You ought to see his pineapples. Man, are they sweet. He's got sheep and chicken and goats. Bob Evans can hold a candle to him. Seen my son, Tubal? He makes snap-on tools. He's really smart. He can work with iron and brass and steel. He is a tool maker, a die maker, an engineer. He makes all the stuff that J-Ball uses in his gardens. Have you seen my son Jubal? He can play the liar. You've never heard anybody play like him. He's going to be on Johnny Carson. He's going to take Jock Severinson's job. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> I apologize. And there is Seth over there in the corner. Someone walks up to Seth and says, hey, how's your son, the priest, doing? Doesn't he know he'll never get anywhere doing that work? What's he going to do for a wife? Nobody wants to marry a priest. Seth just smiles because he knows that the banana farm, the steel mill, the music hall, it's all about what we can do for ourselves. But the altar where his son Enish works, that's the place where we recognize and honor what God's done. guy that had to sit next to Cain at the Christmas party but I would love to be the guy that searches out Enish or Seth and says tell me a little bit more about why when you were born people began to call upon the name of the Lord there was something about that line there was something about that line Cain and Abel. Abel is the one that was accepted, and he's wiped out, and it looks like the story's over. But no, God gives Adam and Eve Seth. Down the river, you know, Cain's got a head start on Seth. He's built that city. He's put it all together. His sons have it all going on. And Seth comes out and says, there's got to be a reason. about what Jesus has done. It's not about what we can build or what we can do ourselves. God may use you, God may facilitate you, God may gift you in many different ways, but that's not what it's about. What it's really about is what he's done for us. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. When we begin to choose to believe that our cheap counterfeit of what we do is better than what he's done, that's when we are going to wander away from God and land in the city of Nod and live our days building up the 401K only to die with bigger and better barns, but nothing inside of our heart to show for it. But the life that focuses upon what he's done for us, who recognizes what the real deal is, who sees that all of our labor is just a counterfeit for Jesus. That's the one. That's the one that I think God will accept. In fact, I don't think I know. God is so good. Let's sing together, church, about him.